to the Servants Council Podcast, a place where listeners come to learn and grow their servant leadership style. Our goal is to encourage, educate, and empower the present and future generations to become servant leaders and build healthy, lasting communities. I am your host, Joe Gross Jr. In our last couple of episodes, we discussed the first two domains of a servant leader, which is the listening domain and the empathy domain and in its importance in the relationships around us and how they grow those relationships around us. In today's episode, we will be discussing the third domain, which is how servant leaders heal people around them. Joining me in today's episode is my friend, Josh Emery. So with that family, let's go ahead and jump right on in. So how are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing well. Uh, just normal start to the day of messages before 6 a.m. and, you know, kids stuff and things like that. So. Uh, just a typical start. Yeah, good copy, good copy. If you guys aren't aware, uh, so for my folks that may not be military, right? Uh, senior NCOisms, our jobs start like at five o'clock in the morning when that phone starts going off. So uh, I hear you, I hear you, Josh. Uh, so Josh, if you wouldn't mind, um, for those folks that may not know you, right, or haven't been at Okinawa, um, I imagine anybody who's dealt with McDaniel Center knows who you are. Um, but just in case for my folks that are around the world, if you could introduce yourself. Yeah, no, thanks, uh, Joe. Josh Emmerich here, and uh, I started back in 2004, joined into the military. I did about three years um, working at like a Ford dealership before I came in, so joined at 21. Uh, I knew I wanted to fly, and uh, I ended up picking a flight engineer for uh, HH-60 helicopters, mm-hmm. doing combat search and rescue, uh, and I've been doing that for the last 19 years. Uh, our Rear field has changed. The name is now Special Missions Aviator, what we are, but a mm-hmm. uh, uh, bunch of time in Afghanistan and Iraq and uh, Africa and, and out in uh, the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my second time actually here in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. was here back in 2006 to 2008. Um, so currently, uh, I'm the uh, senior enlisted leader for a rescue squadron here. Uh, we're getting ready to leave in about two weeks. and. Yeah. Uh, Go enjoy a desk job and staff life for a little bit. So, um, but uh, future hopes, uh, actually something that my wife kind of gave me the idea um, as we're talking about healing uh, a little while back, there was a, we had a year where we lost about eight individuals uh, mm. to suicide. We had about four, uh, the helicopter crew and four uh, maintainers in a very short period of time. Uh, just through depression, alcohol use, and yeah. substance abuse, and right. um, uh, PTSD, and things like that. And so, I ended up getting pulled into this initiative. It was the Invisible Combat Wounds Initiative at the time that uh, uh, Secretary of the Air Force, Deborah James, mm-hmm. was doing. And they wanted a special missions aviator perspective on some things. And so, I uh, started working on some stuff, started writing some papers, looking into things, and um started looking into various therapies, recreational therapies, and, and how we can help our folks. Um, ended up actually getting to talk to somebody up in, at, the, at the Capitol uh, talking about embedding psychologists and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And kind of this, that's where the True North program kind of worked. Right. Not necessarily of my efforts, mm-hmm. but I, I got to be a part of it. Right. Um, where having having someone come in and visit that doesn't really have the rapport with people, mm-hmm. um, it's going to take a while before they can... I actually start to help people with healing. So um, some of the um, things that have happened from that with MFLAX and True North and stuff has all kind of come out of that initiative. And I realized that I actually had a heart and a passion for that. I had been doing my bachelor's in uh, aviation and aeronautics and stuff. 
Uh, but I realized that the counseling and things like that were, were where my heart was. And my wife uh, mentioned, I looked up uh, equine therapy, mm -hmm. so using uh, horses to kind of help heal vets and stuff like that. Right. And it was still kind of emerging. There's some good models out there and stuff. And um, I started really digging into it and uh, looking into it also for myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife's like, you know, I, I could see you running a horse ranch uh, someday doing this. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where our hope and our of our future and our dreams have kind of came. And so I've, that's what I've looked at uh, once I retire is is looking at either getting into a, a horse ranch that does equine therapy and mm -hmm. kind of spend some time there and then also um, potentially having my own uh, and running my own uh, kind of equine therapy. Oh, oh man. But uh, it, it's neat because like some of the models, you know, my wife, she I had derailed her from her uh, med school years back when we met. Uh, she's way smarter than me. Um, so she took a break from her career and stuff. And uh, once we get back to the States on this next assignment, she's mm -hmm. going to start her grad school for nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the models for equine therapy, you have um, a horse specialist, horse behavior specialist, and then you have a mental health specialist. Mm -hmm. So she's going to be kind of able to uh, fill that mental health uh, specialist if she does, if she wants to, she wants mm -hmm. to work with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Otherwise she can, she can have her own job <laughs> and I'll find somebody else. In. But uh, that way, you know, you pay attention to kind of how the horse behaves and how the person behaves. Mm -hmm. And then you're able to kind of work on the healing process and, mm -hmm. and work them through that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's what we, our future hopefully looks like. Right. Um, as far as hobbies, I've recently picked up bowling. And I didn't didn't think I would I was ever going to be a, a bowler, right? Um, but we've got this men's group that meets on on Wednesdays every night right. here at mm -hmm. the lanes. Um, one of my favorite master guns in the Marine Corps mm -hmm. uh, started it, and uh, he's he's a great guy. He moved now, but mm -hmm. got into bowling and just just spending time with with other men, talking through things and right. stuff like that. And right. so it's become like my middle week sort of zen and yeah. and centering okay. activity. But it's a, it's a good hobby. And uh, as far as who I am. Uh, the my full story mm. and kind of what has developed my character uh, is is a much longer story. Mm. Uh, but there's a lot of things that should have derailed me from what I or who I am now. Mm. Um, I have a lot of excuses, I guess I would say, or a lot of justification if I wanted to call it justification mm. in my childhood and my past and things like that that I could have gone a different direction. Mm. Um, you know, I kind of listened to your story uh, like uh, the last episode and things like that and. Mm. Uh, you know, similar things. Like I could have taken a different path, mm -hmm. um, but I did have people that poured out into me uh, and kind of kept me going on that. Mm -hmm. So, things that I, I personally I feel deeply about, I, I care deeply for people, and it, it breaks my heart when I, I see people hurting. Mm -hmm. And I've had to learn how to, all kind of guard my, like protect myself a little bit, mm -hmm. and then not to make other people's burdens my own because uh, it would break me. Um, but learning how to feel with them and be mm -hmm. like alongside them. And to navigate them through it, mm -hmm. and then uh, I, I'm a big advocate for personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. So, own your stuff, own your mistakes, and own your things. Uh, I recently did was speaking at an Airman Leadership School for it was on. Do you have any regrets? Uh, things you would do differently? Right. And I, I sat there and I thought about it for a while and wrote some notes. And then when I came in, I was like, I'll be honest. I don't have too many regrets. Mm -hmm. Are there things that I would have done differently that I wish I could have learned lessons smartly and in, mm -hmm. in a different way? Absolutely. But I I like who I am now, the man that I have become mm -hmm. and and who I am becoming. Mm -hmm. And everything good or bad in my in my history is part of what's made me that now. So I don't necessarily regret things. Right. Uh, 
I've just incorporated those things into into my story. And uh, I'm, I'm unashamed about my mistakes. We've all got stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, I'll tell you my stuff um, without without shame or fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of who I am. That's just the basis that I, I kind of come from and, and things like that. And I have my own traumas, my mm-hmm. own things um, and stuff that we'll talk to here in a little bit. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah. All right. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, man, for uh, introducing yourself to our listeners on the Service Council podcast. Um, so for those who are listening, you guys can pretty much understand why I have Josh coming on to the show as we talk about the healing domain, right? He is one of the very few masters I know whose goal and his art of healing people in and um, teams, right? Uh, you teach one of the lessons is five dysfunctions of a team, right? Like your goal, your ever since I've met you since day one of coming into this position, at the McDaniel Center has always been like, hey, how do I help people? How do I help them mm-hmm. grow? How do I help them heal? Um, kind of like you on your journey, right? I was going through my academics. I was uh, doing my graduate program. And I found it very interesting that I keep hearing the word servant leadership, but I never knew what it was. Yeah. So that's when I started digging into it. And, uh, and this is what I started learning about the 10 domains as I was completing the uh, degree and then the healing. That one just stood out the most to me, mm-hmm. right? Because everything else, every other leadership uh, ideology, if you will, or theology always has like, you know, they kind of touch each other, mm-hmm. but nobody touches healing. Yeah. Servant leadership seems to do that. Uh, from servant leadership, they say, you know, learning to heal is a powerful force for transformation integration and servant leadership is the potential for healing oneself and others. Dr. Greenleaf, um, he tells a story about like 12 psychologists, uh, 12 um, theologians, if you will, and uh, 12 therapists, and they all come to this conference together. And the facilitator asked, hey, you know, why are you guys in the art of healing? And after 10 minutes of discussion, they said to heal ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? So it's very interesting we hear that, like, you know, folks that are in the art of healing understand that as I heal somebody, I'm healing myself as yeah. well, as well as healing is, is a, uh, what's the word I want to say? It's not a, it's not a, I, I made it. It's a continuous process. Yeah. There's no, there's no finish line. Yeah. There's no finish line. <laughs> That's a very interesting, right? Um, and as I was reading through the graduate program, as I was getting through the graduate and I, I completed it, I just noticed that, you know, everyone has a broken spirit or they have emotional traumas or they have traumas in their life. Everyone has suffered some various, some, you know, some range of emotional hurt. And um, although we can say, hey, this is part of the human experience, uh, servant leaders recognize that they have an opportunity to help make whole uh, those whom they come in contact with. And uh, North, House, North House actually says that, you know, uh, servant leaders heal by one, just caring about the personal well-being of the individual, right? They're not necessarily concerned with organizational needs. Mm-hmm. I'm just concerned about your well-being. What is it that you want? What is it that you need? How can I help you get there? Um, uh, they support them to overcome their own, own personal problems. Man, I loved how you said like, hey, when people unload, like, how do I make sure I don't Take take that load with yeah. me, right? And then um, the process of healing is a two-way street. And I have plenty of examples of when I've had troops come in and they were dealing with something and they had no idea I'm dealing with the same issue. Mm-hmm. So as I'm helping them with their issue, um, it's helping me with my marriage as I'm helping them with their marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, just, it's, it's very, it's very uh, interesting, uh, this process of healing and servant leadership. So Josh... Um, how did you develop the skill so well? I'll say so well. That's what I'm gonna say. So well, you don't go, you don't go to 
to the to up to DC. He never developed it. Well, at least that was actually just a phone call. Uh, but uh, you know, to them. But it was. It's a long process. It's it's been quite a thing. And, and I like how you talked about the as you heal others, like right. you you are healed, and and mm-hmm. what Doctor Greenleaf was saying, and with the the twelve therapists right. and the psychologists and things. Uh, so it's been that um, mm-hmm. for me a lot. A lot of it is learning through my own experiences right. and learning through trial and error. Um, I just finished my my master's, right. and it's human services counseling, focusing on crisis response and trauma, right. uh, and. Through that, I've I've actually seen most of my growth in the last few years and really kind of developing my thoughts and my ideas on this and the skills to try and, and figure out how I help others. But mm-hmm. it's been the challenges and the stuff that where I've been helping others that mm-hmm. I'm learning about, like I said, even my own marriage, how am I communicating with my wife, my mm-hmm. children, mm-hmm. Uh, and how I'm communicating with others. And through this, I've, I've kind of really deeply built the foundation for me uh, especially in the military you know we always talk about the mission the mission the mission right and all this stuff you got to take care of the mission uh and, and we we add people in there but we usually put mission about people and my philosophy is actually inverted from that right. it's if you take care of the people the people will take care of the mission um, I, you just have to give them a vision give them an objective a goal to get to for mm-hmm. the mission like what is our our end state and, and after that it's you got to take care of the people and they will go do that but you know, you say chalking up to human experience, and, mm. and really, it is like to be human is to suffer at some point. Mm. And you know, we do a lot of classification, categorizing like sufferings and and different traumas and mm. different stuff. But really, what it boils down to is that individual's experience through that trauma is going to dictate the healing that that person needs and mm. the course that that person mm. has to take. There's no one size fits all sort of approach to it. Uh, and you can talk to a lot of counselors and, and therapists and psychologists, and they'll tell you the same thing that right. it has to be tailored. The healing process has to be tailored specifically to that person. So, through this, I've been doing my master's for like five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew kind of my disjointed, you know, incoherent philosophy I had on, mm-hmm. on pain and suffering and stuff, but never really put a whole lot of big thought into it. Mm-hmm. But I grew through some of my own traumas through childhood and some other things like that. And the way I did that was I just, you know, I just accepted that it is. Mm-hmm. And I can either choose to let it be my excuse to continue destructive behaviors or, or hurtful behaviors, or um, I could just accept that it is right. happened. And then what am I going to do with it? It's the response, like focusing on the response mm-hmm. more than the trauma itself. Right. So one major thing that kind of set the course for me, um, like I said, a number of times through Afghanistan and in Iraq and Africa and things like that. Uh, my first time to Afghanistan was in 2007, and it was out of here from Kadena. And we fly, like I said, helicopters. We do combat search and rescue. Right. At that time, we were ramping up a lot of operations. We were helping the med- uh, army folks doing the medical evacuation mission. And so I was supposed to be out there for about six months, and right around the five month mark. Um, we had flown a ton um, every single day. I, mm-hmm. I don't even. There's missions that we did that I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but through this, we're starting to see a lot of traumatic things, like you know, seeing a lot of uh, issues with bodies and and um, a lot of pain, a lot of blood, a lot of like stuff going mm-hmm. on. And and you're feeling empathetic, empathetically feeling kind of the pain for others and stuff like that, and the suffering that they're going through. I didn't really know what to do with it. I just mm. kind of turned it off. We compartmentalize it. Right. Um, but I'll get back into that in a second. But uh, it really ended 
it ended about a month early. Um, we got a call for there's a young local girl, Afghani girl, mm-hmm. uh, that had about, about five years old, four or five years old. That burns about 50% of her body. And the wounds ended up being overestimated. Um, so we, we went. It was extremely dark. Um, we were kind of far away, about 25 miles away from like the nearest little little base. Mm-hmm. And there was no Americans on the ground. It was Nepalese Gurkhas that we were trying mm-hmm. to talk with. And there's communication challenges. And uh, we came in and, and went to land. And uh, there were some errors you know, made. And we ended up hitting the ground very hard. We stayed upright, thank mm-hmm. goodness. Um, but we hit at just over 11 Gs um, to the ground. Did a significant amount of damage mm-hmm. to the helicopter. Um, later on, damaged my body mm-hmm. and things like that. But we recovered the girl, brought her back. I ended up sleeping uh, in the clinic um, with this young girl listening to her cry throughout the mm-hmm. night. Which later on, I, I realized after I had my own kids that that was one of the things that made it difficult to me to hear um, babies crying. Uh, and I, it took a while for me to make those connections, like several years mm-hmm. to draw that connection. Well, we come back a couple of weeks later um, from that trip. We were done flying. Uh, they, we had to get medically cleared, and there was a bunch of issues. They had to do a whole safety investigation and things like that. So within three days of being home, my responses to this incident mm-hmm. were terrible. My immediate response was we started drinking. And the the gunner that I was with at the time, and he ended up never flying again after mm-hmm. that. Um, but we did not handle it well. We didn't really talk about it mm-hmm. or anything like that. We just numbed and we were right. avoiding it. Mm-hmm. And within three days of being home, I got a DUI. Sure. Uh, it was the Japanese law, so it was a 0.04, mm-hmm. uh, but it really doesn't matter. Like I was a fool at the time. Didn't know I was hurting. Didn't know mm-hmm. what to do about it. So um, got a DUI. And then I ended up getting a good amount of grace from my leadership at the time. And that was where I had to make a choice. Right. I had to decide what pathway I was going to go on. Mm-hmm. Was I going to go on a pathway to being productive, being good at my job, mm-hmm. um, to continuing down that road and, and finding success there? Or was I going to go into a cycle of uh, anger and frustration and right. hurt and uh, all these things? And I didn't actually really have anybody guiding me through that. I, I had good leaders that mm-hmm. were on the professional side guiding me through, but I didn't have a whole lot of emotional support kind of guiding me through. And I didn't share this a lot with my family, mm-hmm. um, but I did talk with my brother over those years. My brother's one of my best friends, and he's a he's a pastor at a church now, and has been for several years. And he's always been good about giving me truth. Mm-hmm. He's the one that I, when I talk about giving truth and love. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one that did the sermon on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, truth without love is, is uh, brutal and love without truth is a lie. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, I started to decide I wanted to heal from this. I wanted right. to get better from this. And so I, I put my focus into my work and again, compartmentalize things. Right. The thing about compartmentalizing stuff is, you know, a lot of those memories, a lot of those feelings and stuff, there's a radioactive nature to it and mm-hmm. they, they eventually leak. They don't stay in the box. Yep. And they end up bleeding out into other things, and you start seeing behaviors that all that stem from some of this stuff. Right. Uh, as men, we like to think that everything goes neatly into a box; you can put it away, and mm-hmm. it doesn't touch anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not the case. You know, these things will will end up affecting you in different ways. And so, that was kind of the point at which a major turning point for me that I decided to be a better man than I was, right. and to not just sit in the hurt and the pain and the suffering. 
But through the master's course, mm -hmm. I, the last paper that I wrote was uh, my personal theology on pain and suffering, mm -hmm. which is not an idea I had thought about. I was right. like, what is my personal thoughts and philosophy on mm -hmm. this? So it was a really neat experience going through that. And really, it boiled down to finding the purpose in the pain. Mm -hmm. And you can look at it from a religious aspect. You can right. look at it from a non-religious aspect. Right. There's there's a lot of different things in there. Interestingly enough, though, purpose in the in the pain and suffering, on the spiritual aspect, right. whatever faith that is, right. the spiritual aspect plays a significant role yeah. in develop, uh, developing what that purpose is. Mm -hmm. um, it's always less than if you if you remove any spiritual domain or mm -hmm. spiritual aspect out of pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. Everything's less than any purpose you come up with. Mm -hmm. is You can look at it from uh, just evolution, like, right. wow, the, the fittest survive or strongest survive. Right. And it's through this, that, like, I'm going to grow stronger. You mm -hmm. think about going to the gym, right? right. I'm going to stress my muscles and damage my muscles, mm -hmm. and that, that's going to you know make them grow and, and generate me to be stronger and stuff. Okay. You can think about that. Mm -hmm. um, but humans need a little more purpose to it than that, mm -hmm. uh, not just to be strong and not just to survive. There's surviving and thriving, right? mm -hmm. two different things. Mm -hmm. So it was really neat kind of going through that process and developing what my personal philosophy is right. on it. And pain and suffering, everyone's going to experience it. Right. There's, there's no protection against it. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's going to be through injury. It's going to be through the loss of, of a loved one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just in the last couple of weeks, mm -hmm. uh, a major role model of mine passed away. My, mm -hmm. my other best friend, Mike, um, his mm -hmm. dad, Dale, was just a strong character of, of a man. Right. Um, faithful, diligent, mm -hmm. hardworking, um, good father, mm -hmm. good husband, godly man. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he finished his race. Um, his body was deteriorating and, mm -hmm. and he passed away a couple of weeks ago. And it, it hurt. It hurt. And there's a lot of ways that I can respond to that. Um, I can ignore it and mm -hmm. avoid it. You know, mm -hmm. you, you talk to psychologists and all the different um, methods like with PTSD and right. how people respond to stuff to it, you know, whether it's avoiding, whether it's numbing mm -hmm. um, and things like that. Uh, you, There's the flashbacks and stuff like that, but right. avoiding and numbing are two of the main things that, that people mm -hmm. do in response. Mm -hmm. So either not talking about it or distracting themselves. And I, that day when I found out that you passed, like I distracted myself. Right. But there was a point where I ran out of distractions and I found myself just sitting in my car mm -hmm. and just crying and just remembering him. Right. So you, you can do that for a little while. But right. eventually, those feelings will surface. Right. You know, I like there's a, another book. It's called Why Don't We Listen Better? It's a parishioner by a, uh, uh, James um, Peterson. Mm -hmm. He's an old, uh, old parishioner. And he, he talks about this idea of this um, because of the flat brain theory mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But the idea that your your emotions mm -hmm. swell up and flatten out your ability to own your perception and and receive other people's perception mm -hmm. and your ability to to rationalize or to logically think mm -hmm. you see this in kids mm -hmm. when they when they're very emotional yeah. you can't have a rational conversation with kids. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is, it's the same with adults. We're just big children. <laughs> I like that. I like. But that. I like he he envisions yeah. that the emotions are like in the stomach, right. and so he just this idea of like the stomach swelling up, and and until you release the pressure. You know, you can't really get through, you can't give different perspectives. Right. Um, you can't get through like rational conversation mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So um, I really liked how, how he kind of talked about that kind of goes more into like the listening stuff. Right. Um, 
but then practical application of that, mm-hmm. of how you help someone to heal. Mm-hmm. One of the big uh, concepts that was always brought up throughout the entire program was the ministry of presence. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as human beings, we're pretty awkward when, when someone's suffering and we feel like we don't do well with silence. Mm-hmm. We feel like we need to say something. Mm-hmm. We give a lot of like platitudes like, oh, well, you know, like you lose somebody like, well, they're in a better place now. Mm-hmm. Well, I, some people don't believe in that. Right. And that may not be helpful to them. Right. Uh, or we just go and start telling our own story or like we feel like we have to fill the space with words or with something. Sometimes just sit, a lot of times just sitting with someone, sitting with someone in the pain, side by side with them in the pain. And it is totally okay to tell someone that really sucks. I'm sorry you're hurting. That really sucks. And just be with them. It, it, you know, we kind of overcomplicate it sometimes. Right. And <laughs> a lot of healing, healing has to come from within the person. If it comes from external, they'll never fully own it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the healing has to has to be born out of like inside that that individual, and it has to be a choice that they make, and it has to be um, stuff that they wrestle with. You guide them along it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're a mentor. You're a guide. Um, you help them through it. You can ask questions and things. And try to help kind of shape their thoughts and their right. philosophies on it. But just like with any work activity, right? Mm-hmm. Someone's going to be more bought into a solution if it's part if they're part of mm-hmm. developing right. the solution. Right. It's the same thing with hurting people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to be part of it. They have to make a, a choice to kind of go through it. And it can be frustrating mm-hmm. when you're, you're like, just do this. Mm-hmm. I, I gave you a list. Right. Here's one, two, and three. Do these things and, mm-hmm. and you're going to be healed. It's never that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, ask any ask any therapist, any psychologist, right. any, you know, the counselor that goes through that. A lot of it is guiding the person on their healing journey because mm-hmm. it's a journey. It's not it's it's not a self help book. It's right. not a seven steps to highly healthy yeah. people. Well, yeah, you know things <laughs> <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> There's no and some people want that. They want the checklist. Right. You know, follow this. Right. Um, you have an uh, in AA. You have the twelve step process. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a framework and mm-hmm. that's a guide. The person's journey through that right. is different. Right. Uh, it's based off of their context and right. their their stuff. And ultimately, the goal you kind of mentioned earlier, but the goal what you're trying to get to is what's called post traumatic growth. Yeah. So, you can heal people. You can work through healing with people, and you can work through the issues and that stuff. And you want to see them kind of incorporate this into their their story incorporate into the, like who they are right um you can't reject the pain mm-hmm. you can't reject the suffering mm-hmm. you can't reject because whether you want to just cognitively not think about it or not it is going to affect you it is going to be part of what shapes your behavior so you accept it uh is a good step but you're still kind of sitting in this uh ambiguous sort of okay i've accepted it mm-hmm. now what mm-hmm. and it's post-traumatic growth that that's what every counselor every uh clinical uh, psychologist and specialist and everything is trying to get someone to is the mm-hmm. post-traumatic growth which is to become more than you were more than the pain and the suffering mm-hmm. more than the trauma uh to where you are now healthy and capable to maybe guide somebody else through a healing journey mm-hmm. as well and the thing is, going back to like whether it be gym references mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. like working out, right. you don't grow 
you cannot grow and you cannot re- get the gains, right. if you will, yeah. without some pain and some suffering through it. You have to be stressed. Right. Uh, in my aeronautics uh, major for my bachelor's, I really loved this force. It was on metallurgy. Mm-hmm. And as I was studying it, I started, my mind started applying the concept of metallurgy and stress over time right. to people. Right. And it's this neat kind of concept now where you know, metals are these crystalline structures and all mm-hmm. these different things and stuff. And they have what's called elasticity and you mm-hmm. re- reach this elastic limit. Right. And in resiliency, a lot of times we talk about this like, oh, just bounce back. We right. want to bounce back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's like the idea of elasticity mm-hmm. within metals. But where you can stress over time and then when you remove that stress, it becomes exactly what it was before. Mm. Well, that's the idea of bouncing back. Mm-hmm. The reality is we don't just want people to bounce back and return back to normal as though nothing happened. Right. The In trauma and in suffering and in challenges and stresses like through life, it, it's going to change you and, mm. and it should, but how is it going to change you? Right. Is it going to change you in positive ways or negative ways? So when you think of like hardening metals, mm. you know, the, you ever watch... Um, uh, forge and fire. Yes, forge yeah. and fire. Yes, I like that yeah. show. So they're always doing like <laughs> the, so, yes. the heat treat and stuff like that, right? right? And if you do an improper heat treat, the, the blade cracks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the, but what's happening when you're hardening a metal mm-hmm. is you're taking it past its elastic limit to mm-hmm. what's called plastic deformation, mm-hmm. and where it causes permanent changes in the crystalline structure. But you you do it only to like a certain point, and then you remove the stress. Mm-hmm. And the idea is the next time you stress that uh, that metal. It can handle more stress for more time before it reaches that plastic deformation again. So that's why I really like the concept of metallurgy, right? Because it's the same thing with people. You that's what resiliency is. Right. It's continually stressing over time and then before a point of breaking and failure, removing mm-hmm. trying to remove that stress or come in and take some of that load and like, okay, cool down and do a little more shaping, a little more refining, uh, forging, if you will, right. and things like that. And now, the next time that you encounter stress and all that, you're able to go to a higher level and right. to go to a higher limit. Or you a different kind of stress. Now, that's yeah. the thing. is It's weird. Uh, is a different kind of stress. You may have a different level depending mm. on the trauma, the stress, whatever yeah. it is. Um, and a lot of this boils back down to what were the coping skills? How were you raised? Like mm. what, what skills did you develop naturally or input to you by your parents or, mm-hmm. or advisors and mentors as you grew in those mm-hmm. formative years and through high school and things like that. Right. But still, e- each of those uh, each of those things, different traumas, different stuff, whatever, continuing to work through those. There's a, a gentleman that I worked with here, and he used to do the storytellers here on yeah. Kadena. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember Adam Coneyard? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Love his story. Mm-hmm. Love him. Uh, he always said, instead of like bouncing back, he liked the idea of navigating the waters. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're in uh, rough seas, sometimes you're in calm seas, mm-hmm. um, but you navigate through and you move through something, not just return to the state you were, right. move through something and then you're different on the on the other end. Sometimes there's some scars, mm-hmm. you know, you hit some rocks along the way, right. um, there's some marks, there's some memories, but it's a journey through. Right. Um, not a return back to what you what you were before. So I, I really liked how he kind of he put it. Okay. Oh man.
Thank you, Jeff. Wow, that's you, man. That's all y'all got. That that's a lot of golden nuggets. You hear me? Golden nuggets. I'll say, uh, man, when you were speaking and talking about purpose, right? Like, hey, there's got to be a purpose in the healing. They've got to have accountability in this. Uh, oh man, I love how you talked about the metal piece. <laughs> like you get distressed. Like I had a whole bunch of aha moments. Like looking back, like yo, that makes sense. Like something <laughs> as simple as uh, education, right? Um, I have a whole bunch of uh, education on the wall, but I remember first starting was like, it's really difficult. And then I got my second associate's like, this is a lot easier. All right, cool. Yeah. I'll get my bachelor's. Like, man, that was really difficult. But now I look back, like, oh, bachelor's wasn't too bad. Yeah. Now we're going to master's. Master's complete. Like, man, that was difficult. <laughs> but now I look back, like, yeah, master's wasn't that bad. And I'm like, okay, now the next step, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as I look back and think about, right, you talked about purpose. You talked about us choosing the response that we can have after a traumatic experience or a traumatic emotional experience. Uh, man, thank you for sharing about the kid. So I haven't shared this with my wife. I She'll probably hear this one when it comes out, <laughs> but uh, same thing, right? So I remember um, in Iraq, 2007, 2008, uh, we got into a firefight. Obviously, we won that firefight, um, but I distinctively remember hearing women screaming, kids crying. Mm-hmm. So now I'm a dad, I have Trey, and I'm not handling his crying well. Yeah. yeah, I distinctively remember that. I was like, why am I not here? Uh, so this is where it's coming from. So now I have to choose a response. Mm-hmm. But my my choice for response was based on purpose. Yep. Okay, I got to be a dad. Yeah. Like, my son needs me. Like, okay, so yes, that was a situation in which you battled with, still battle with to this day. Like, hey, did we do what was right? Um, you know, me uh, on the spiritual aspect, did I do what was right? Yeah. Right? So, um. Being able to say, you know what, you know, I'm going to choose this response because of purpose and, and grow out of that. Um, one of the things I like to share is like, um, so for ground transportation, as we were doing those convoys for um, for about a decade, we numbed our pain the same way like you described it. So I distinctly remember coming back. Uh, we were in Iraq one day. We were in Maryland the next. And I was drinking heavily. I didn't know anybody else was drinking heavily because same, nobody wants to talk about what happened for that year. Um, so I was drinking heavily. I got in trouble. I'm sure for the folks that may have heard that the first episode, you know, I'll talk about that a little bit and how the commander wanted to get rid of, but I realized that alcohol numbs pain. Mm-hmm. So they sent me to Korea. Um, I was trying to become engaged at the time and you find out that the young lady had, uh, Chosen someone else <laughs> without telling anybody, all right? It'd be a nice in a nice way, right? We make young mistakes. Um, so so that just added on to you know, okay, hey, you know, all the stuff I'm dealing with, plus said that. Um, so let me drink some more. Korea is mm-hmm. made out of alcohol, so yeah. and I mean, and then I just realized, you know, I'm just I'm tearing up the body. So am I going to constantly respond in this way? Mm-hmm. Like, am I really going to respond in this way, or am I going to choose a different path? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I do that? And it, it went right back to what you talked about purpose. Like I have to have a purpose for me. I was like, Hey, God kept me alive yeah. at the end of the day. Like I'm a 19 year old kid, y'all 19 year old. What does a 19 year old know about war? And what does a 19 year old know about leading 30 year old, 40 year old men? Nothing. <laughs> Let me tell you that right now. Nothing. Right. And the fact that I go into a situation that is technically hundreds of years, if not thousands of years of battle, and come out 
So again, so for me, <laughs> purpose purpose was like, hey, God kept you alive for a reason, and that reason has to be to take care of other people. Mm. Um, so I have to choose to respond differently now. Um, and that's why I was got real interesting. You said post traumatic yeah. post traumatic growth because I was like, oh man, as I looked through the years, I really felt like um, for me, for the healing piece, at least for the combat side, happened in ALS. Mm-hmm. So it was easy for us in ground transportation because we're all drinking, we just numb the pain, or we'll just share the stories amongst each other. We don't have to choose to respond differently, yeah. right? So I remember like blowing up in dispatch. I still remember this is in Alaska. Um, it was a veteran on the phone. I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but a veteran on the phone. I come in, I'm swing shift lead. My dispatchers are in there like, hey, Sergeant Gross, I need you to handle this phone call. Like, this dude is really rude. I'm like, yeah, I got you. Cool. So I pick up the phone as a veteran. He needed to get onto the hospital, mm-hmm. right? So he's like, hey, sir, you know, you need to take a taxi. This is what you do. We can't provide. Hey, I'm a veteran. I was like, sir, we just can't. Our rules don't let us. He's like, you you freaking Air Force. You've never been in combat. And I lost it. Yeah. So I have been in combat. I have seen people lose people. And you will correct yourself or I'll correct you. Yeah, but it wasn't in that tone. It was a lot of cursing, yeah. and I distinctly remember where I should have probably been. Hey, gross, let's pull you aside. Let's talk about it, and then disciplined. It was more like AOG. We understand, mm-hmm. right? So now I go to ALS. <laughs> <laughs> I go to ALS where where you have to have this professionalism, and I'm still having this. Yeah, and that first year is rough, and any of the instructors that were with me will tell you. Like gross, we didn't think he was gonna make it. By the second year, I actually even asked my uh, CFM, asked my career field manager because I worked with him before in Alaska, let me leave. Like this isn't for me. Yeah. You know, the students are saying, you know, I'm not empathetic. Um, you know, but I'm trying to prepare them for war, and you know, they're real soft-hearted. They don't understand. Like so, ALS forced me to address some issues. Yeah. Right. Like I had to go to, um, you know, I had to go talk to some counselors. I had to go talk to some therapists. Uh, but as I was doing that, and then of course the students want to know the stories because they like, oh, sir, hey, we, you know, we read your bio. Now I'm being forced, and then they'll say, so how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the sleep issue, sir? And I'm like, I'll let you know when I yeah, figure I'll out. Let you know. <laughs> exactly, I'll let you know when I figure out. And they're like, so how are you going to tell us to bounce back? Yeah. So I am extremely grateful for those four years in ALS. Because it forced me to mm-hmm. figure out how am I responding and what is my purpose. If I say this is my purpose, why am I not responding to that? Yeah, that that was amazing, and I'm I'm grateful because then at the end of that time frame, that's when I met my wife, and I was like, oh, veteran, can see you would have met me earlier. She so was like, mm, no, you're you're a problem. <laughs> how, how fortuitous! If I had met my wife any earlier, she would not have given me the time of day. Right. <laughs> Right. So, so it's just, man, it's just looking back at that. And then, you know, taking that forward here at Kadena, I always share the story of um, one of my guys, one of my favorite dudes is probably listening right now. Um, I got a lot of favorites. Okay. So <laughs> I got a lot of All my favorite people, right? I'm not going to use no names, but, um, but he was, um, he was struggling in his marriage, right? They just had a kid, yeah. you know, um, he had, you know, some past traumas with some other, some other ladies and, uh, you know, um, they were thinking of the D word, the mm-hmm. divorce, right? And, uh, you know, he comes in and he's, you know, being transparent with me. And what he didn't know was that uh, Kim, that first year, asked maybe two or three times to leave. Yeah. Like nicely, not like, hey, you know, we need to get divorced. But she was like, hey, I feel like I'm stressing you out. Yeah. Why don't I just go back to the States and I'll just wait for you to come back? Mm-hmm. Right. So 
as I'm like, hey, bro, like, you know, let's go to purpose, right? Because we're both yeah. men of faith. Let's look at this from this from this aspect yep. and let's see how now I'm really addressing like, okay, so I'm not as good as I think I am. Yeah. Right. I'm probably I'm pretty good in the LRS yeah. world, but I'm not as good as I think I am as a dad or as a husband. Um so as we worked on his healing, he has no idea that he helped me with my healing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's where and this is all servant leadership, right? You know, it's nothing yeah. I, we didn't state anything about mission. Yeah. Mission mission. We were really, really focused on just helping others, but we gotta look at at, at our purpose, how we're gonna respond to that. Um, and understand, I loved how you brought, again, that metal piece that when we go through these things and then we're able to, you know, go back to our purpose and response, we're able to go further than mm-hmm. that stress yeah. or further than that previous trauma. Yeah. And I think that draws other people in too. Yeah. So note that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I, I tease my brother. We're going to have um, Winsome on the show on one of the later episodes. And that dude's been through a lot, but he draws in airmen like nobody's business. Yeah. I've never seen it. He yeah. and he likes to downplay it. <laughs> but he draws in people, but if they because they know, I mean he's been through this, 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 and he's going further and further and further. Mm-hmm. How's he able to do that? Um, but he's able to relate in that in that way. So so yeah man. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much, Josh, for like sharing that. Sharing that information, um, and even from just an academic piece, and then like, hey, how does that play out um, when it comes to post-traumatic? I do have a question. Um, yeah. When it comes to, right, so I don't know if this thought is right. That's why I'm asking the question. Yeah. But one of the things that I decided when it came to responses, will I be a victim or a survivor? Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that is that is a question that has been asked you know, by more people than you, mm-hmm. and it, there's... There's some different philosophies and different theologies and things mm-hmm. to go to. It depends on, I guess, who you talk to, but I'll, I'll talk from my, my opinion versus right. like any uh, scholarly or literary right. things. Uh, yeah. It, so first off, mm-hmm. right, uh, your choice to become a victim mm-hmm. or not, you're, sorry, the, the becoming a victim mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a choice that you make. Right. Some might I, be, you, you know, you do something foolish and get hurt mm-hmm. and there's a trauma to that. Like, well, I mean, that's a product of a choice. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, most people through traumas, whether it be uh, physical, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, things right. like that, um, uh, those are they don't choose to right. become victims, mm-hmm. but but then they become one, and now they have to, there's a choice, right? And you kind of talked in your own story a couple of things. Like right. one is you have to identify, you have to, to be able to identify the root cause of like right. some of the behaviors, and so when right. you can name it, when you can identify it, like right. oh. I'm doing this because of this, mm-hmm. then you have a starting point of where you can kind of go from. And right. so that's having people help you right. to try and identify that. Mm-hmm. But then, like I said, you can stay a victim. Mm-hmm. And I, when I say this, uh, you know, anyone listening, right. what I want, I want to make very clear is I'm not trying to downplay right. anything about right. the pain and suffering that you've gone through. Uh, I'm not trying to, um, to uh, say anything about that or lessen what you're going through. But if you choose to stay in the realm of victim, then you're continually being re-traumatized, continually being re-hurt. You're continuing to to be in in the pain and not to work through the pain to what the outcome is. Um, If you stay a victim, the post-traumatic growth will be either non-existent or less than what you'd want it to be. Right. 
the survivor moving into survivor is that to me is the incorporating this this event whatever this is into your story um when people say who is who's joe jr Mm -hmm. and you're like this is my story and these are the these are all the things like my pearls and all of the pain and stuff along the way and this is who i am and that's that's you being a survivor that's you having taken everything that's happened all that type of stuff be like yep it hurt i got this scar here Mm -hmm. this thing here whether it be emotional scar or physical scar um this is a a reminder uh but this is part of my story you know i've uh like i said we do scars are are just memories if you think about it whether it be like emotional or physical like Mm some real don't really have pain with them Mm -hmm. um but you might have some variations with it you might have some things you might walk differently you Mm -hmm. might whatever differently and stuff like that um but it is a it's a story and it's a reminder um but it's after the pain pain is pain is healed uh and now it's what are you going to do with it right um you know like i've got i've had a bunch of lipoma removed Mm -hmm. and they have like a a, at least some nasty scars and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and i you know i joke around i'm like i got in a fight with a shark you know (laughs) tell the kids and stuff but But I can be uh, ashamed of or embarrassed of my mm-hmm. scars. I can let these scars to still cause my life pain. Mm-hmm. Or they can just be. They just are. And mm-hmm. they're just part of my story. And it's a, it's a talking point. And I can talk. It can be like, hey, where did you get that scar from? Let me tell you a story of how I went through something. Right. I mean, not necessarily from the lipoma, mm-hmm. but... You know, whatever it is, like, oh, how come your knees all messed up? Mm. Well, let me tell you a story about right. what what happened. Let me tell you about my accident and the whole process through. It now becomes a talking point, right? And that's moving. Like I said you towards that that survivor. Right. Survivor, I would say, is incorporating the trauma into your your life and right. your person and your story in a way that you can now tell that story to others mm. and be a present ministry uh, to them, be being right. uh, present with them in the pain. Right. And minister to them and help them with with purpose mm-hmm. you know the i'll tell you like i didn't mention it too much but you, mm-hmm. you brought up the spiritual aspect like mm-hmm. for, for me 100 percent. like it's if i didn't have that my spiritual aspect my faith if i didn't have mm-hmm. my god mm-hmm. as as a purpose for me i don't think i would have come through a lot of the stuff that right. i've done right. um so my my best friend Mike, you know his his mom. I didn't know for years, mm. but she prayed for me every single day for safety. She had this one stop sign that she drove to every single day on her way to work, mm. and she, every day she stopped and she prayed for me at that yeah, stop man, sign. Bro. You know, and I and I one hundred percent believe, and she never told me about it. You know, for years, right? And I one hundred percent believe that that uh, is part of of what got me through stuff. Mm. Um, but things. I look back and all sorts of things could have been different, mm-hmm. but they weren't. They were, and now what am I going to do with it? Right. So it's the choice. There's the, once you, once you're in the victim aspect or stage, if you will, mm-hmm. you're in the pain. You're in the suffering. Identify how it affects you. Mm-hmm. Like you, you got to do that self reflection, that introspection of like, okay, like this happened. I'm feeling a certain way, right? But exactly what are those feelings exactly what do i feel about it right. exactly how do i perceive that pain uh, exactly how is this hurt mm-hmm. affecting my behaviors and when you can identify that which you can't when you're numbing right. you know, when you're when you're yeah, drinking yeah, so that you can't, yep. until someone identifies it i'm drinking too much and it's not good for me you, you it's hard to get them out of that right um so once they can identify that I'm like, okay now what mm-hmm. and it's 
you, I can be, I'm good here. I'm just going to stay here. I, you know, misery loves company. Mm -hmm. I'm going to surround myself with miserable people. We're all just going to be in pain and suffering together mm -hmm. um, and commiserate with each other, which in and of itself is, can be a, a healing process too, mm -hmm. like group therapy and stuff. And, right. um, but you got to be careful. There's that saying, what hurt people, hurt people. people. Yep. You know, talking like that veteran that called, uh, had you been in a better place, mm -hmm. you might've looked at that as, yeah, there's a story behind this. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to find this guy's story and find a way that I can actually help him and right. kind of get him through this. He may be being a jerk, but not because he's just a jerk or because he doesn't like us. Mm -hmm. He might be in pain. Yeah. He might be suffering through something. And so how can I help him through that? Mm -hmm. um, what can I do for him? Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that could have been differently. Yeah. That could have, yeah. A lot different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I've made so many mistakes over oh, the years. Man, I've been yeah. so many times where I've misread a situation or I've yeah. given bad advice mm -hmm. or I've, I've, stepped in and tried to do something just completely messed up made a situation worse mm -hmm. um so I, I, we learned through those mistakes right um it's just part of what makes us better and you got to be able to laugh about them you know now you got to look back on it and be like yeah that wasn't good absolutely <laughs> <laughs> but next time yes next time, oh, yeah, next time yeah next time absolutely absolutely me, 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 my wife and i would just mm -hmm. you know just this week doing some challenges with the kids and mm -hmm. some stuff and uh i i made a misstep i mm -hmm. well by misstep I stepped back thinking that I was trying to, I was not going to step on her toes. I right. stepped back from a situation um, thinking that that was helpful to her and come to find out she needed me to step in mm -hmm. and needed me to be a united and aligned, like kind of front, you know, with the kids. Mm -hmm. And I totally messed that up. And mm -hmm. it's like, the only thing I've got is I will do better next time. Mm -hmm. um, I can't, I can't change what I did there, but okay. Uh, I'll do better and, and learn how to help people. Right. I've learned over 13 years of marriage. I have to ask my wife how she needs me to help her. Right. right. <laughs> That's wisdom right there. I had to, I had to ask how she wants me right. to help, how um, I can, I can be of service and then do that. Right. If I just go in my way and my interpretation, I think I've, I've got like a 99% fail chance. <laughs> you and me both. Let's <laughs> say you and me both. All right. Thank you, Josh, for sharing that. Um, I I appreciate that. I love how you said, "Hey, um, you, victim is not necessarily a choice." However, um, survival survivability yeah. is. Um, so I do like that. Um, I'm definitely taking that with me. I just always try to wrestle that because, like, hey, how do I how do I you know uh, communicate that in the correct way, um, especially for the folks that you know. We, we there's a lot, especially military. Like I said, all of us got trauma in some format. Yep. Every single one of us. So being able to help folks heal, that's something that, that um, I enjoy very much. So this is probably one of my favorite jobs in the Air Force, if not the favorite job, because, you know, you were engaging. We're yeah. engaging people um, in that. So um, with that, uh, Josh, do you have any questions for me before we uh, wrap up? No, I just really appreciate you giving me an opportunity for this. I, I really have a passion and a heart for this. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it, it can be hard. Um, I've learned to keep two things in my office, a mm -hmm. box of tissues and a, and a jar of candy. Mm -hmm. uh, for You never know what situation you right. need them for. <laughs> and, you know, just but for anyone listening and for you mm -hmm. and, and stuff, uh, as you're leading and, and learning to be a servant leader, um, don't be afraid to step into the awkward and the uncomfortable. Um, those are the greatest learning moments for you as, as a leader. And you're going to bumble some things up. You're going to mess some stuff up. You might say the wrong thing, but like pay attention and be ready to rapidly adjust your tactics 
um, and continue to build you know the tool sets you have read uh, research um, talk to others and kind of build out those skills um, but don't ever shy away from stepping into a situation you know the worst thing that you can do is nothing when you see mm. someone hurting is to see them hurting have a heart for that and do nothing um, so step into the awkward ask the hard questions um, and things like that and then you know just don't be afraid you'll, you'll be okay you'll make some mistakes but you'll be okay uh, and yeah that's so that's what I would say encouragement for everybody else uh, out there um, there's no perfect way I guess. but there's there's a whole lot of different ways and it's specific to you and that person got you thank you josh thank you josh for coming on to the show man and uh, i hope our listeners um saw how us practicing this healing domain even those around us practice that that healing domain with us um how much of a great impact it had on the relationships with us or our relationships with around us you know with this um so in our next episode we will look at the next domain of a servant leader, which is the awareness domain. So um, if you guys have noticed, right, we talked about listening, how listening leads to empathy, how empathy leads to healing, right? Because mm-hmm. we, we have to have empathy. We have to listen to be able to help folks heal. So on our next one now, we're going to talk about awareness. And my hope is to catch my other brother, John Dixon, uh, before he PCSs from Okinawa, right? So I caught, <laughs> I caught um, Josh. Now I'm going to try to catch John. Um, and we could expect to hear that episode um, play on or around the 3rd of August of 2023. So I just want to thank everyone for tuning in to today's episode. I hope that today we were able to encourage you with our stories, um, educate y'all with just some of the academics from both of us, from both of our ends, and that um, everyone feels more empowered to practice that healing domain. Remember, there's no perfect way. Sometimes sitting in silence and say, yo, this sucks is the best way to play it. So until next time, family, much love, be blessed, peace.